Hello and welcome to Tech Talks with Madonna, Season 3, Episode 10. Our guest today is Lisa Chow. I think GovTech can really, in a lot of people's minds, bring as legacy. And it actually is a very broad category. It, a lot of what I worked on when I was in GovTech was actually internet infrastructure uh, for higher education, which is some pretty advanced and cool stuff, also cloud computing in a lot of ways. I think GovTech is a fantastic choice. A lot of people consider it to be a lower salary band than industry, but I consider it to be much more stable. Uh, and also it can kind of pay dividends in terms of vacation and stability. And I think in so many ways for work-life balance, that can be really nice. But the, the- She's not just a practitioner in our field. She's a strong advocate for diversity and inclusion and is a Google Women Tech Makers Ambassador. She's dedicated to promoting and empowering women in tech. Join us as we'll delve into Lisa's incredible journey, her insight into data engineering, her advocacy for women in tech, and her role in pioneering exciting projects in the open source world. If you didn't know, she has been recognized through the Linux Foundation LIFT Leveraging Information for Tomorrow program, where she was honored as a recipient for Women in Open Source. So today I have Lisa with me. And Lisa, it's amazing to be speaking to you today. It's a bright morning, actually, which is pretty interesting because the entire last week it's been raining. And it just came from the grass episode celebration. But apart from that, I'm actually wearing my hair, my hair with some highlights I did this year I know I'm just going bold I added some purple highlights it was pretty cool actually it looks very nice when you see it I think you can see it now in the camera but have some highlights and then I have a top white uh, borello is it a borello and then some clothes inside that's me how about you <laughs> Ooh, I love that we're doing like a little bit of a visual here um yes. It is dark morning where I'm at, and it is the first week of fall, it really feels like, and so it's a little bit chilly out. Yeah. I decided I'm going to go with autumn colors, so I'm very much mm -hmm. into the oranges and the mustards today. Um, I also kind of did my hair this year very interestingly, so I have like half like sort of lighter hair and then half darker, same length, uh, which I love. And yeah, I'm just kind of wearing out a, whatever clean clothes I was able to muster today because it's been that kind of week. And I, I'm happy that I still can kind of look, you know, professional for this. So I, I'm happy to have that be the case. You, and yeah, just comfortable. You look stunning. I'm just going to say. <laughs> I just came from dropping my kids from school and I was like, oh my goodness. It's always amazing. But from time to time, I dress up like I'm going to work just to drop my kids. <laughs> <laughs> my kids are like you know, where you, you going mom yeah especially with work from home I feel like you just kind of need to have a day where if you're at home programming for the entire week you're just like I need to look cute just for nothing <laughs> pretty cool now let's jump into the questions oh before we jump in actually please do you mind introducing yourself mm -hmm. to our audience 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so my name is Lisa Cow. Uh, I was a data analyst for a really long time, and my undergraduate degree is actually in something kind of unconventional, which is psychology. Uh, I did a career transition, and now I work as a data engineer and a software engineer. Uh, so a lot of my interest now within the professional space has been, weirdly enough, in data ops and observability, uh, really you know, monitoring, monitoring pipeline architecture. And yeah, a lot of my background has been in small to mid-sized orgs, so including startups, nonprofits, consulting firms, GovTech, biotechnology. So uh, a lot of different flavors uh, I've gotten to try, which is really fun. Uh, I'm also a Google Women's TechMaker Ambassador, which is very awesome. Uh, this is my first year and I'm learning so much. Uh, I'm also the Linux Foundation Lyft Scholarship recipient for Women in Open Source, uh, founder and chair of a local hackathon called the Vancouver Data Jam, and the lead maintainer of a R package called Bioxworld. Wow, that is amazing. You mentioned something that really sparked my interest, which is GovTech. We don't get to hear from many people in GovTech. Now, do you mind sharing how your experience was at GovTech? Because I'm really interested in this. Yeah, I think GovTech can really, in a lot of people's minds, ring as legacy. And it actually is a very broad category. A lot of what I worked on when I was in GovTech was actually internet infrastructure uh, for higher education, which is some pretty advanced and cool stuff, also cloud computing in a lot of ways. I think GovTech is a fantastic choice. A lot of people consider it to be a lower salary band than industry, mm -hmm. but I consider it to be much more stable. Uh, and also it can kind of pay dividends in terms of vacation and mm -hmm. stability. And I think in so many ways for work-life balance, that can be really nice. But the the work can be really challenging and fun. I know a lot of people who work in GovTech who work on really like cutting edge satellite imagery or who are even implementing machine, machine learning in like your driver's licenses, for instance. Oh. And so there's such like hidden gems out there that mm -hmm. people don't really know uh, that yeah. that exists. That is so true because I feel like everybody that wants to get in tech is for a big company or a startup, which is either Google or Microsoft or all these flashy names or, you know, Amazon and all Uber and Square. But nobody thinks about GovTech because I've not... I mean, I've not heard anybody that says, like, I want to work in the government in the tech field, which is pretty interesting. And it brings up a very good point that you mentioned that people don't actually know that it offers a very good work-life balance because you're right. I feel like even ed tech does offer that a lot as compared to working for a startup. I worked in a startup and those were my a very early startup that was very fast and growing and I can tell you for free those were my hardest years every day I was like am I really going to survive in this job because <laughs> we're just yep. pushing code pushing code every other day wow thank you so much for sharing that because that is pretty cool now let's get into your question so your interest includes observability validation and relate reliability in data system. Could you explain why these as aspects are crucial in today's data-driven world and share some examples from your experience? Yeah, I think one of the classic sayings that we have in the data world is garbage in, garbage out. And in theory, that sounds pretty straightforward. We just, you know, whatever data that we have, we model it in a way that makes sense. And then we feed it into some sort of you know, a machine learning model or, or a statistical model that we think makes sense. But really, when you're working with big data, mm -hmm. 
understanding what looks right and what is wrong can be very challenging because at scale you're you're dealing with a lot of different systems and you can't really just like go in and eyeball it and so when you're looking at observability you know validation and reliability you're really introducing these like sre and devops components into your data system so that you're monitoring really live and you know in, in a nice fashion what your data looks like so that you can get a really good uh, idea. So one of the examples uh, of this that you can see in like real life workplace is really making sure that mm-hmm. your data is within the expected ranges that you're looking at, uh, mm-hmm. that you have an alerting system for when your data is not necessarily being pulled from your source systems correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, again, really trying to make sure that you know your data typing is well enforced, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you very much for sharing that insight. That is pretty cool. Now, please tell us more about being an open source enthusiast and a women tech makers ambassador. What does that mean to you? Because one thing that I do know back in the days when I wanted to become an open source maintainer, it was pretty hard to get in. How did you get in? Uh, I love that. So I have a story to share, but also I have an upcoming talk at the Linux Foundation Members Summit, uh, literally called Maintaining Diverse Maintainers. Mm -hmm. And I think that open source can be so tricky to get into. Uh, I do suggest anybody interested in Hacktober, get involved in Hacktober. They have a lot of low code, no code, uh, Mm -hmm. like ways for you to contribute. So don't be shy. I think that you can contribute to something like Hugging Face or Grafana and not even write code. I think that's crazy. You just have to look for where they need documentation. And that's a huge part of programming. Mm-hmm. Um, but how I got involved in this world was really fun. So when I was first in my undergraduate degree, I really wanted to to go into like a, a different field, something a little bit more medically aligned. And so I was working at a resource center that also doubled as a, a clinic. Now, as part of this, we were in like a very, you know, high risk area, but we had a computer lab and, you know, we didn't really have that much money. It was a nonprofit that was kind of running on bare bones. And so we had about 12 computers and I had to jump in and those computers, believe it or not, were running Ubuntu and nobody knew how to to use Linux. And so it was just like this crazy thing. And so that was probably my first foray was for this woman center that was you know, really serving mostly homeless women or at-risk women who really needed access to these computers, but also needed to be able to to navigate an OS that was completely different to them. And so I stepped in as a, like, sort of junior sysadmin of sorts, and that was my foray into it. And I just kind of fell in love with how accessible it was, like Ubuntu as a distro. I, I loved that I could manage things for free. And I just, I think that was really what made me love tech. Uh, a lot and Mm -hmm. what kind of started it all for me that's amazing because you're right when you mentioned that because my first laptop when I started programming was actually a Linux laptop and I was I I was using Mint back in the days Linux Mint that is true Mm -hmm. and uh, I don't think I know much about Linux now because I stopped using it once I got my MacBook and then everything changed. I'm like, ah, but I really did enjoy doing that back in the days. The question that I want to follow up on that is that when people want to join open source, what can you tell them? Like, where can they get started pretty easily? And what are, what are patterns they should follow to just become open source contributors? Because I got I get this question a lot where people are like, Madonna, I don't know where to start, but I love open source. Where can they start? Yeah, I think 
one of the easiest ways to, to get people, and this is how I used to, to farm contributors for one of my projects, was to get involved with hackathons. Uh, a lot of open source packages will actually join hackathons. And, you know, I, I think Hacktober is a great example of this, but you can also do something that's a weekend long thing in a field that you're interested in. So for me, initially, it was bioinformatics, and mm -hmm. I kind of got the chance to contribute to a lot of bioinformatics packages. Uh, what I also recommend is just to contact the, con like, the maintainers directly. Okay. Maintainers are not like celebrities. We like if you send us an email, we'll just reply. It's just like any other normal person. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that, you know, they'd be happy to work with you to to do a one on one onboard. And I always find that having that human aspect, especially to a package, can really make open source much more accessible in that way. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I used to do too was have like regular meetings with developers to to mm -hmm. get caught up on things. And I think that other packages probably do something similar. So I, I really would try and reach out to, to folks and get a meeting with them and just to get them to, to onboard you or to talk about how you can contribute. I, lo I love that answer because you said it so nicely and so kindly. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing because I wish I met you when I wanted to, to be an open source person. Because <laughs> I remember trying to contribute to an open source project and then I, I did my fast my first pull request and it was rejected. But you mentioned something very important that I had not thought about it back then. Talking to the maintainers first. I think that's a good approach too. If especially you want to, um, I know most of the time they have a lot of um, like information on how you can make your fast pull request, but you end up getting rejected and you're like, uh, you know, it kills your mood. But you're right. Just knowing the maintainers and talking to them, they're humans. You're right. They're humans. So you can definitely do this. Well, Let's change gears a little bit and talk about being a Women Techmakers Ambassador. You've already said you've been in the program for one year. How do you feel that program has been for you? And what can you tell people who want to join that program in the future? And also just what would you tell your younger self to in that question? Yeah, uh, I feel like it's been even less than a year. It's probably been only like four months or something like that. Like it, it has been a, a short stint. And yet weirdly enough, I did feel, uh, maybe this is a little bit too corny, but like a shift yeah. from before and, and after. And I think being involved in this community in a weird way pushes you to elevate yourself. I have never done so many media appearance appearances like up to this point. Mm -hmm. And I think that watching what other people are doing in the community, it helps you really mold yourself and, and what you want to to do as well. Mm -hmm. And the the network that you get from it it is amazing too and I don't know there's a bit of pride with getting to say that you're a Google Woman Tech Makers ambassador and it pushes you to to be your best self and that's something that is so exciting I used to kind of look at sort of these more prestigious titles and kind of think that they were a little hoity-toity you know mm -hmm. that's just kind of who I am um mm -hmm. true Linux user but you know, now being part of the system, it's not necessarily even about the title, but it's just the resources that you get with it mm -hmm. and, and the community and just like the energy, because I feel like a lot of the emotional labor that you do for yourself being a woman tech is just keeping yourself in the game. It's just yeah. keeping your head up. It's kind of fighting through adversity and getting that really weirdly enough like offloaded into the community where you're getting these regular calls where people are very upbeat where people are happy where people are just kind of telling you that you can do it I think that really helps a lot to to have your cheerleaders like that that's amazing I like the fact that you mentioned where people are happy I'm always happy when I'm in the group <laughs> I've been a woman to make as ambassador now I think almost three years 
And wow. it's been amazing for me. I feel like they've really, really cheerleaded for me, uplifted me through my book journey, something that I'd never thought I would do. But here I am, they were the first cheerleaders, like Madonna has a book, yay! <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> highly recommend joining. Now, going back to your tech, could you tell us more um, about Vancouver Data Jam that you founded and share? What is its mission? How does it contribute to the data community? Yeah, and so the Vancouver Data Jam, uh, I don't imagine a ton of people know about it, but it, it's like this hyper-local event that happens in my city, which is Vancouver, mm -hmm. Canada, where we have a, a grassroots hackathon. And it, it's sort of like this palooza where we do like six different workshops ranging from beginner to intermediate to advanced. And then we have this hackathon that usually aims for some sort of social good or climate change theme. And then we kind of do a bit of networking uh, after. It was quite funny. We did a, a bubble tea networking event uh, for this one. And one of the things that I love about this event is that it's very purposely like anti-competitive it's community focused people mm -hmm. really know that it's not about winning it's about leaving it better than you are mm -hmm. and there is this attitude that's been cultivated there and, and the way that we started was really just by wanting to do a, a local collaboration between our our ladies and pie ladies chapter we just wanted to have a, a box of pizza and just maybe some random lecture hall and just do something random and it ended up growing because this committee that ended up getting together and these people who wanted to be involved just kept pushing it further and further and then it became a, a really large thing you know over the span of a few years and it, it's one of the places that is really dear to my heart just because we very intentionally are inclusive we celebrate mm -hmm. people coming from different backgrounds we do our best to to make everybody feel mm -hmm. included but also it is you know sort of anti-cultural to this very hardcore software engineering, you know, sort of vibe that's been going on where people are just like working overnight on these hackathons and they're mm -hmm. kind of pushing themselves to the limit and they're super prestigious and they're sort of anti-beginner. Mm -hmm. And our place is just like, yeah, come as you are. And people mm -hmm. understand that. And from it, it's kind of grown into this really beautiful thing. Wow, that is very impressive. I'm really impressed. And I, I'm going to say kudos to you for, for doing that because that is amazing. I feel like... Uh, not even that community, but so many places, even at work right now, it's so anti-beginner. And I've met beginners just struggling, asking me, Madonna, if I'm a beginner, I don't even know where to start. I don't know how to get hired because nobody is hiring beginners. So thank you for creating that space where beginners feel welcome because we need that. Otherwise, people are just going to quit and think that they're not cut out for it. Wow. Anything else you want to add to that? Because that really did touch my heart because I've been hearing that conversation a lot. And it's pretty sad when you think about it. Because how are we, do we expect them to gain the experience if we've not, we don't let them try it out? 100%. I, I think you understand this mission like full heartedly and you, you probably yeah. know it better than, than most. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. One of the things that I didn't expect to come from this experience was mm -hmm. dealing with the amount of anxiety that yeah. I had from the people around me. I, I had a lot of imposter syndrome coming in as as chair. I didn't know if I was really good enough to to pull this thing off. But from the the team lead level to the judges mm -hmm. level to you mm -hmm. know uh, the participant level, I get messages all the time while organizing this event of people who want to drop out last minute, who don't think they're good enough, who are like, "Why did you talk me into this, Lisa? I'm not good enough to participate in this team." And yeah. every single time 
they yeah. push through it and they go, oh, I'm so glad I did this. I didn't think that I was good enough and I'm so happy. And those people have been the ones who went on to, to win the hackathon or mm-hmm. who ended up being amazing leaders or who mm-hmm. then grew into their careers uh, years later. And it's so incredible. I'm one of the few people in this event that gets to see at every single level mm-hmm. how everybody has the same issue, uh, no mm-hmm. matter what level of seniority that they're at. Yeah. yeah. Such a great point. Cool. Now, one more question for you. What advice do you have for aspiring data engineers and software developers, especially those who are looking to make a meaningful impact in their communities or field of interest? Because you're doing such a great work with, with data job. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so not a lot of people really look into this. I think we as software engineers uh, definitely get caught up in the rat race for always trying to to work for the biggest and and the baddest um but you know nonprofits out there are really hurting in terms of data initiatives like you have a lot of people sort of downstream who are really contributing to the community who are stuck in legacy systems mm-hmm. and it, it really like i've done some consulting for nonprofits it really only takes a week or two of your time to to transform an organization uh, of that level and size you know mm-hmm. and they really appreciate it and you can make really big changes. One of the last projects that I worked on was uh, creating a, a little database of, you know, transition homes for women fleeing domestic violence and abuse. And this was for an organization that had been struggling with this for years, like wow. just getting all this information in one place. And I can walk away knowing that, hey, this mm-hmm. is going to be used for something that is directly impacting my community. Mm-hmm. And I can use my tech skills for good out there. And so, yeah, just right at your doorstep, there's so many places where you can contribute. Okay, where do people start? Because I feel like that's just a great call out that people can actually do. So where do people get started? How can they get started to such an initiative? Because that's amazing. Yeah, I so there's a lot of different online places where you can volunteer. Datakind is one of the organizations that I work for if you're based out of the US. But if you mm-hmm. want something a little bit more grassroots, Look up local nonprofits in your area. Uh, Like these sort of societies work in small offices. There's like less than 20 people. And Mm -hmm. even if it's something like your local food bank and ask them, I was like, hey, I have these tech skills. Is there any way that you can use this or know somebody? Um, When you work in nonprofits, you start to know everybody else in nonprofits. And, Mm -hmm. you know, these organizations talk to each other. They share a lot of the same funding sources. And Mm -hmm. so the the word of mouth spreads really quickly and you can Mm -hmm. become really hot really quickly. Amazing. Wow. Thank you so much, Lisa, for being such a great voice. And you've really touched her heart because I feel like we've never had such a podcast before where we spoke about such amazing stuff. And you're doing amazing work. Kudos to you and keep up the good work. And that's it. Thank you again so much for being part of Tech Talks. (laughs) 